today's episode, I talk about one of the most surprising and shocking stories of the entire Hebrew Bible. It's a popular story, but because of the time gap between us and, and the time this book was written, we at most of us actually completely miss why this story is so shocking. And so today I'm going to tell you why this story is shocking and what we have to learn from one of my favorite stories of the Hebrew Bible. And it just so happens to be the first story that I ever read of the Old Testament in the original Hebrew language when I started learning Hebrew. So today we're diving in to the story of Ruth. Hey everyone, welcome to another conversation at Hebrew Bible Insights. Today we're talking about what is, at least for me, one of the most surprising, shocking characters in the entire Bible. And what's even more interesting about this is that this character is actually, I would say, relatively famous in the Bible. But for most Christians, most people who are reading the Bible, we don't realize why this character is so shocking and so surprising. And before I tell this story, there's only one thing you need to know, is you need to know who the bad guys are. Now that might sound like completely unnecessary. Why do I have to say who the bad guys are and who the good guys are? But you know, with very ancient stories, we actually, sometimes we, we don't know. We were totally unaware of who bad guys are and who good guys are. So uh, whenever we watch a TV show or a movie, I would say pretty much most of the time, it's extremely easy to know who the bad guys are. I remember when I first watched Star Wars, which by the way, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I remember watching uh, that movie and for the first time seeing the stormtroopers busting into the rebel ship and Darth Vader walking down the hallway and they were taking down the rebels and then down at the end of the hallway where Darth Vader lifted up one of the rebels with just one hand over his throat. It doesn't take long at all to find out, oh, these are the bad guys. And the movie hasn't even outright said it yet. Technically, you don't really know, but the way they dress, the way they talk, the way that they act, it's pretty clear. Uh, another simple example, Lord of the Rings, uh, the Nazgul, these mysterious wraith-like figures with the dark hoods and the weird voices. The moment they step onto the scene in the Fellowship of the Ring, we know, oh, those are bad guys. Um, they're generally tropes and they're types of characters that even if we watch a new movie, a new show, we understand, okay, this is the bad guy. Well, the same thing is true uh, in the Hebrew Bible. There are certain types of characters and um, that are basically bad guys. And one of those groups are the Moabites. There are a lot of ites in the Bible. If you've ever tried reading, especially some of the earlier stories in the, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of ites. Uh, well, one of them is the Moabites. It's just simply a group of people uh, that started with a one guy named Moab, and his family got really big. So compare it to like Abraham, who you have one guy and his wife, and then their family got really big, and they became the Hebrew people or the Israelites, as, as we know them as well. So... Here's what you need to know about the Moabites. Um, we get their origin story, uh, which is through incest. These, these two sisters uh, have sex with their dad because they think it's the end of the world. Uh, whoever told you the Bible was interesting, right? Crazy, wacky stories. Anyhow, one of the, one of the 
one of the sisters, uh, her the son that she has through her dad, his name is Moab. Fast forward a number of years, the Moabites play a really pivotal role for the story of the Hebrew people. Once they have left Sinai, uh, the place where they made a covenant with God, uh, whenever they leave and they're in the wilderness for a number of years because they don't want to go into the promised land, they have to wander in this wilderness for about 40 years. And during this time is when they run into the group called the Moabites. And here's what's important to know is the people of Israel, they've made a covenant relationship with God. And on the honeymoon night, if you will, of them making this covenant relationship with God, uh, people of Israel, they basically, you know, commit adultery, spiritual adultery. They, they create an idol to worship themselves. Okay. So that's the first story of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. And it's of their own doing. What happens with Moab, the Moabites is something a little different. Uh, a number of the Israelite men, uh, they go and they sleep around in Moab with some of these Moabite women. And uh, one thing leads to another. And suddenly you have a number of Israelites who are bowing down and worshiping the, the gods of the Moabites. So what happens here? This is the second story where the people of Israel have been spiritually unfaithful to God. It's, the, it's also the first time that a foreign group of people have led the people of Israel to be unfaithful to God. And so from this point forward, this is the first instance when you have that type of thing happen. And Moses makes a big deal about it. And he even says that uh, the Moabites shall never enter into the assembly of God. This is not going to happen. You get a famous story with Phineas if you want to dive more into that in the book of Numbers. I think it's chapter 25. Pretty interesting story there. God makes a covenant with him for what he does to stand up for God. Anyhow, um, so this is, a, this is a, a, a bad tale that ends up repeating itself with all the different foreign groups from then on. So uh, it seems to me, in my perspective, that when this, this law that comes in in Deuteronomy uh, that says no Moabite will ever enter your assembly, don't let them do this, is God's making a really big deal out of a major offense that's happening. So from the rest of the story forward, anytime that you see Moabites or the land of Moab, what you're thinking is these are bad guys. These are people that are they're, they're born of incest and they lead Israel astray from following the one true God. All right, are you with me? So now let's dive into this uh, surprising, shocking story. And whose story is it? It's Ruth. I love the story of Ruth. My Hebrew teacher, Mora, as I call her, it's the feminine word for teacher. Um, she's been like a grandma to me. I remember the first time I ever read the Hebrew Bible, um, I was reading the story of Ruth with her in her office. And it was so much fun getting to do that together. And in fact, she wrote a biblical Hebrew grammar, a way to learn biblical Hebrew, uh, by taking you through the book of Ruth. And so uh, we read that story together, and I love getting to, I'd already known modern Hebrew at this point, uh, but it was fun getting to learn now the nuances of the ancient version of biblical Hebrew. Uh, and so we were, were talking in modern Hebrew together, and while we're reading the story, and I'm asking questions and learning some of the differences between the ancient form of the language and the modern and um, I started to fall in love with this story. And it's a very popular one because it's one of the few stories in the Hebrew Bible where, where a female is a main character in the story. So it's probably why a number of you might know this story. It's also really important to the Jewish people 
once a year, the Jewish people read through the entire book of Ruth when they're celebrating the Feast of Weeks. So in this story, um, the way I used to think about it was this, and maybe you feel the same, is this is a great story about a woman who lost her husband and uh, took care of a widow. She was really just a good person, really good person. She had bad things happen to her, uh, but then she became a, a she, she treated other people well. Uh, great story, okay? While those things are true, there is so much more going on in this story that we probably, as, as 21st century Americans, just don't really think about, we don't realize. Here's what happens. The very beginning of the story of Ruth opens up like this. There's uh, a husband and wife, Eli Melech and Naomi, these two main characters. They and their two sons, they leave Israel because of a famine. And where do they go? They go to Moab. This is one of the first lines of the whole story. And for any ancient Israelite reader who's reading this story or listening to the story being told out loud, this is where you gasp. This is where you say, what are you doing? Why, why are you going there? This is, the, like, this is like going to Mordor. This is like hearing that you have some hobbits who are having a hard time in Hobbitville, you know, in the Shire. And they decide, you know, let's just go to Mordor. It's like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? Yet that's where they go. And they go into Moab, the place of the bad guys. And then things get even worse. Their two sons, Machlon and Chilion, these two guys, they end up marrying Moabite women. And look, if you if you haven't been gasping already, now it's just like you're losing your you're losing your breath. Your heart rate's going up. What are you guys doing? Don't you guys know our story? Don't you guys know that they're the ones that that they that they led us to unfaithfulness away from God, and we're never supposed to let any of them into our assembly? And they spend about ten years there. And during that time, the two sons they actually end up dying. Uh, there's some late Jewish scholars who talk about their death. I want you to keep in mind that these Jewish sages, they're probably about 500 years after Jesus or so. It's hard to know exactly, but a good amount of time after Jesus. And these sages, they're trying to think, why did these sons die? Why did they die so early and so young? And for them, they said, here's why, because they married Moabite women. That's why they died so early. And in fact, the meaning of their names in Hebrew means sickly and something like um, a faint or weak person, right? That's what their names even mean in Hebrew. So just a fun little side note for you there, for you nerdy folk. Um, but going back into our story, uh, once they these, these two sons die, the, the famine seems to go away in Israel, and, and Eli Melech... Um, he also dies. So all you have now is the wife and these two daughters-in-law who are now pretty much not really even connected because, well, the sons are dead. And they end up going back to Israel. And, um, and Naomi, as we know, right, Naomi in Hebrew, but Naomi, she basically, she tells Ruth and Ruth's sister, go back to your people, go back to do your stuff. And this is the famous line where Ruth says, no, your your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Right? She says that whole famous line. And so uh, Ruth, she says, your God is my God. You have a Moabite woman who chooses to commit to the God of Israel, to the one true God. And she chooses to stay with Naomi. Now, um, I want you to think about this whole story thus far. For any ancient Hebrew reader, 
just like anyone else who watches a movie where they're bad guys, what are you waiting for? We're waiting for them to do something bad. Because there, there's often this tension in the beginning of a story or a TV show or movie. Maybe you know there's one you have in mind right now where the bad guy is introduced, but nothing bad has happened yet. You're just waiting for that to happen. You're waiting for the first instance. Uh, one idea randomly comes to mind. I remember watching the Joker movie that came out uh, recently, and uh, it shows you how this this uh, really an, a regular guy who has some sort of mental illness uh, becomes the Joker, and you know he's going to become the Joker. And you're just waiting for the first noticeable evil thing that he's going to do. Most of the beginning of the movie is showing how he's mistreated by society. Uh, but he ends up becoming this bad person. But you're waiting. When's the first time he's going to do something? And the first scene of the movie where he ends up killing someone is shocking and it's, it's crazy. So with the Moabite, we're expecting, okay, here's Ruth, this bad guy. I'm waiting for her to do something bad. I know it's going to happen. It has to. And yet what ends up happening is this is you have a Moabite saying, I'm committing to the one true God. And you're thinking, hold on a second, that can't be real. That can't be real. And then you have this Moabite woman who, in that society, being a woman, not married, that's a very weak position to be in. It was just simply how things were. If you want to be established in society, you got to be married. And um, she chooses to stay with an older widow. So her mother-in-law, look, just being honest, being real about that time and her age, like she's not going to get remarried. And so there's no, there's nothing she wins by staying with Naomi. And yet that's what she does. She says, Naomi, I'm staying with you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to go out into the fields and I'm going to gather grain. I'm going to do whatever I can to take care of you. And that's the story of Ruth. And so as the story progresses, as an ancient Hebrew reader, you're thinking to yourself, at what point is she going to do something bad? At what point is she going to do something evil? I know it's going to happen. It just has to, right? She's a bad guy. Yet instead, not only does she not do bad things, she does great things. In fact, she is described as being a woman of, I'm going to use another Hebrew word here. It has some non-English sounds. A woman of chesed. This is an intense word of love. It's a love that is uh, deep committed love, covenant love, love that goes above and beyond. And scholars are really confused why she, as a foreigner, a non-Israelite person, would be described as someone of chesed. Yet her life is, is one that, that models a way of loving others very well. In fact, one of the biggest things that God has an issue with, with Israelite people, that he speaks through the prophets, Isaiah is a great example, he says time and time again, I want you to lift up the case. I want you to uh, I want you to go and petition for and create change for the widows. There are other people groups like orphans as well, but the widows is one of the things that matters so much to God. And the people of Israel aren't caring for them. Yet here you have a story where Ruth, a Moabite, a bad guy, she comes into Israel, commits herself to God, and she loves a widow even when she has no support system herself, when she has no husband, uh, a very low place in society. That's the story of Ruth. And if you're going to add one last stamp of approval on Ruth's, on Ruth's story, what we find out is she ends up getting married to a man named Boaz. And at the end of the story, they give you a very short genealogy that's very important. 
that Ruth and Boaz, they have a son named Obin, and they have a son named, that, you know, Obin has a son named Jesse, and then one more down, their, Jesse's son is David. What David? King David. Uh, one of the greatest kings that Israel would ever have, but more importantly, is that through that same line is where King Jesus comes. This story is not supposed to happen because Ruth is a Moabite woman. She is never supposed to enter into the assembly of God. It was made very clear in Deuteronomy. I think it's uh, chapter 23, verse 3. Never supposed to enter the assembly of God. Yet here she is. Not only has she entered, but she is also now part of the line of the Messiah, of King Jesus. This very short story called Ruth, which you can read in a matter of probably 10 minutes, it's very short, is one of the most shocking, surprising stories in the entire Hebrew Bible that has been challenging uh, ever since it was written. But if we don't understand who the bad guys are, we actually miss how significant this story is. So when I reflect on this story, uh, what, what things come to my mind? One of the first ones is this, is that, um, is that I want to make sure that I'm careful and holistic in how I read the Bible. Because there's a line in Deuteronomy that would make things very seem very clear. God says, no Moabite will ever enter your assembly. And it seems, okay, that's exactly what God has to say about Moabites. But if you don't read more of the Bible, you don't realize, okay, there's something else going on here. Because you have the story of Ruth. So, you know, there's more I want to read. Uh, this doesn't mean that, that God is just, you know, contradicting himself and doesn't know what he wants. It just means that the Bible's a big story, and we want to make sure we hold off on making bold claims and just running with things before we read the rest of the story. So that's one takeaway. Another takeaway I have is this, is I know that from the very beginning of the story, uh, God wanted his family to be one where all nations were present. This is made clear from the very beginning. Genesis 1 through 11 is not about the Hebrew people. It's about uh, the, all the world. Genesis 12, from the very beginning of the Hebrew people, God says, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. The prophets, multiple times, they, they say things about how there's going to be this great mighty mountain where God will, will reside and all nations will come and all nations will be together under God's rule. It's very clear from the, throughout the whole story that this is going to be a, an all people type of thing. But even during Israel's history, though, there is a call to holiness. And often what that meant for the people of Israel is that they were supposed to be separate from other nations. And this created a, a, a really strong tension. And so it led many Jews, especially the farther you go down in Israelite history, especially by the time of Jesus, where Jews and Gentiles, uh, Gentiles being non-Jews, non-Hebrew people, they just, they don't interact. You, you don't interact with these type of people at all. And the story of Ruth is a very challenging uh, picture in the middle of that type of culture where you have a Moabite person who is in the assembly and is someone of the people of God. And so for me, this is another story that foreshadows how King Jesus will initiate a new covenant that is explicitly, explicitly for all people. And as Paul famously says, uh, Famously, famously says, right? How no longer is this a male or a female thing, a master or a slave, a Jew or a Gentile. And he goes to this list, right? That we are all one. We are all equal in Christ. And so I see those things in the story of Ruth. 
And maybe uh, one other thing I would say that I see is I just see a story where I'm inspired to love well. When I think about and I try to imagine what it would be like to be Ruth, to be someone who is a Moabite, who you, you move to a foreign country, any immigrant I imagine uh, can, can probably relate better than me on this, right? So imagine someone who's an immigrant to a new culture. Uh, that would be challenging in and of itself. Then imagine in that culture being a woman who doesn't have a husband and who's also committed herself to an older woman who has no husband. Ruth is doing an intense act of self-sacrifice to love her mother-in-law. I'm blown away by how she loves. And it, personally, it makes sense to me why she's described as being a woman of chesed because the way she loves is is so deep and uh, it inspires me to to want to love other people well, even if it's inconvenient. So I guess I'll give one last reflection thought, um, which is I think this story also encourages me to be careful about stereotypes. Uh, in fact, stereotypes is probably too, too light of a word to use in this story. Um, because the people of Israel, the Moabites, they're bad people. But clearly in this story, it's flipping the script, the role reversal, where Ruth She's a, she's a better, if you will, follower of God than almost any other Israelite story you find in the entire Hebrew Bible. Talk about flipping the script. Talk about reversing the stereotype. Um, it's just, it's, it's frankly, it's absolutely amazing. And so when we think about our culture and the different stereotypes that we might have, as I alluded to in the previous episode, uh, you know, I talked about we're in, we're in some intense racial tension right now. And I think the temptation to look at people of a different color than us, um, or to look at people of different profession than we are, or different um, socioeconomic status, and to look at people and just to say, I completely understand everything about you. I know exactly about how, quote, your people work, how your people do things, and how it fractures our society, and how it it, it, it's the opposite of the unity that Paul and almost every, every one of his letters calls us to, this unity in Jesus. And so I think the story of Ruth, it challenges us to realize that we need to hold a, we, we, we need to be careful about the stereotypes that we have and how we choose to paint people with broad brushstrokes. Because the story of Ruth is this, if even a Moabite could faithfully follow God, and be a great example. For the ancient Hebrew reader, what they would say is this, is who wouldn't be able to then do this? Because the Moabites, they're one of the most wicked people groups that the people of Israel ran into. So no matter what our categories are, and I know we all have different backgrounds, different experiences, it might be hard for some of us to say, I just, look, I, this is what I've experienced, right? Because I've been treated this way by, by men or because, you know, I've always had this experience with with the people on my mom's side of the family, or because of you know the way that my grandparents were raised, my family just has racist tendencies, or because of this, right? Whatever the story is, whether it's based on gender, whether it's based on family, whether it's race, whether it's status, anything else, right? How can we as Christians embody the love of Jesus in a way where all we're thinking about is, I see these people, as people who God loves. So there's a lot to the story of Ruth. 
I love this story and I fell in love with it ever since I read it with, um, with my Hebrew teacher, um, Mora. And there's a lot, even the story we didn't cover. I would encourage you, if you're interested, read the story again for yourself. And uh, now understanding some of the Moabite history, read it again with that in mind. And a fun fact, you'll notice this, most of the times that the name Ruth is written in the story, most of the time, the author says Ruth the Moabitess. The, the author is um, unnecessarily reminding you that she is a Moabitess, that she is sort of a person of, Mo, of, of Moab. So anyhow, I hope that this, that this story encourages you as it does me, that it challenges you as it challenges me to, to love other people well um, in a deep, real way, even when it involves self-sacrifice. It's something I strive to do and, I, and it's something I wanna do better in my own life. And I hope it also challenges us to, to view stereotypes differently and to realize the amazing hope that there is for others and to view all people as those that God wants to be in his family. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Any support that you give is so helpful for me. Uh, I'm just doing this because it's on my heart. I'm passionate about doing this, sharing stories about God that are often overlooked or misunderstood. Um, or there are people who love learning more about God but don't find a lot of teaching on the Old Testament stories. And uh, anything that you do, whether like, liking, or subscribing, following, right, you can find me at Facebook at Hebrew Bible Insights. Podcast is on Spotify and now also on Apple Podcasts, which I'm very excited about. I'm working on starting a YouTube channel. And I also started a Patreon page uh, that, you can, uh, that you can look up, Hebrew Bible Insights on Patreon, uh, to support financially if that's something that uh, you just feel in your heart to do. Uh, that enables me to spend more time and energy and to get resources that help me produce great content um, about these these ancient stories and poems that show us more about the heart of God. So thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you uh, in the next conversation. <music>